Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Our vision is to empower each person to know God, experience freedom, and discover their purpose to make a difference. Enjoy the message from this past Sunday. All right. Good morning. Oh, let me just pray for us. Father, thank you for another beautiful time of worship. Thank you that when we trust in you, we are hidden in you, Jesus. Your righteousness is our righteousness. We are clothed in your robes of righteousness. You put your armor on us, your truth, your righteousness, your salvation, your gospel, Lord, your peace. Give it to us this morning, Lord. Open our ears, uh, the ears of faith, the eyes of faith, Lord. Open our hearts. Anoint the hearing of your word in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, I want to I begin by reading a lot of scripture, and I, I just want to ask you to open your ears, open your heart, open your mind to the word of God, and if it helps you to just sit and listen and to close your eyes, um, feel free to do that. I want to read Romans chapter 8, the whole chapter, and this is a lifeline to the church of God. Uh, for 2,000 years, this has been a lifeline. This is somewhere um, I and I know many of you go often, and it, it is truth, and it is life, and as we're going to talk about this morning, this is a weapon against the enemy. Romans chapter 8, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life to you has set you free from the law of death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did for you by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh to be a sin offering for you. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh and what it desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God, nor can it. But those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, anyone who's in Jesus are not of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death and decay because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because his spirit lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But we don't have an obligation to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. But the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're children, then we're heirs, 
heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. And I consider that this present suffering, whatever present suffering you're going through this morning, is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the whole creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that all of creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. For who hopes for what you already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he searches our hearts. The one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people according to the will of God. And we know that in, in all things, God works for good for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So what should we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who will bring condemnation? No one. Because Jesus Christ died. And more than that, he was raised to life. And he's at the right hand of God and he's interceding for us. So who will separate us from the love of Jesus? Will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or fill in the blank there? COVID-19, whatever. No, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, anything present, anything future, any power, any height, any depth, anything in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So listen, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. And some of you are probably like, oh, great. And some of you may be overly excited about it, but it's very important, right? It's very important. Um, What we just read was God's word. I love calling it, I mean, yes, it's the Bible, but I love God's word. God's word says, don't you think it's remarkable that Jesus, son of God, God in human flesh, perfect in every way, tempted at all points like we are, but did not sin, He's the same one, John, John 1 says this, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one for whom and through whom and two things, all things were made. Jesus is the one who spoke the universe into existence. And Jesus goes out into the wilderness after his baptism, right after the Father had said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
he gets three temptations, right? And what does he do every time? It is written. It is written. It is written. God's word says, God's word says, God's word says. It's incredible that Jesus quoted Deuteronomy three times to the devil. He went to the Old Testament and quoted it. So when we're reading Romans 8, it's warfare. When we're singing songs of praise to God, it's warfare. Um, it's, it's pushing back darkness. Um, <clears throat> so we've been in the, the Divine Health series, and Pastor Daryl explored kingdom thinking and spiritual health, and you know where, where anxiety and division are, are gripping our nation. We're called, as followers of Jesus, to renew our minds. Um, we're called to live as people of a different spirit and stand in faith in these last days. Um, <clears throat> So I hope you know, though, that peace and unity, um, love, they're hard to come by when you live in a war zone. And we are in a war zone. Um, Like it or not, you and I are at war, a war that involves God and humans and nations and angels and demons. Um, And for the the next two weeks, I just want to open God's word um, to show you the truth that you and I are locked in a spiritual battle. It's a battle for your mind, for your beliefs, for your mindset. Um, and that you have an enemy that above everything else wants to destroy your faith. That's what he's after, your faith, your trust and dependence in God. Um, and so I just want to give you some biblical strategies for, for how to win the battle for your mind and uh, arm yourself with truth to be a part of the resistance, to stand firm in your faith. So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 through, through 10. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Man, if you can memorize that verse, cast all your anxiety on him. How how much? All of it. (laughs) Flat tires, your future, your future spouse, your current spouse, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All of it. Be alert. Wake up. Be alert. Be sober of mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, I love this, will personally restore you. Will personally restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So we've got an enemy, and this would have been really clear to the people reading this letter. So Peter was writing this letter to a group of believers who had been forced out of Rome by persecution. And they were probably members of his own church because he was a bishop in Rome. And so the Emperor Nero, you've probably heard of him, he was a nasty, evil, demonic (laughs) emperor. And he, just some awful persecution of Christians, uh, he would burn them alive, feed them to uh, lions, crucify them. And so Christians started fleeing Rome and now they're dispersed all throughout what was called Asia Minor. Um, And Peter's now writing to these believers to strengthen their faith in God, that God will fulfill his promises. And keep that in mind when he's writing things like cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's writing that to refugees who have had friends and family killed by Emperor Nero. Peter, not long after writing this letter, would be crucified under the Emperor Nero. So that's who he's writing to, but he wants to strengthen their faith because you can imagine how hard it would be to believe that God will never leave me or forsake me, right? It'd be tough. 
So he wants to strengthen them. But he wants to tell them, hey, it's not just Emperor Nero. It's not just persecution, famine, sword. There is an enemy, a supernatural being unseen that wants to devour you, called our enemy, the devil. And he's prowling around, seeking someone to devour. So who is our enemy? Every, every believer faces three potent enemies, the world system, uh, sinful nature, and the devil. And here Peter's focused on the devil. Um, Look at that. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible calls him the devil or Satan. Satan means the accuser, the accuser of the brethren. Uh, In Revelation, he's called the devil, Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser. Uh, Jesus called him uh, the God of this age. I'm sorry, Paul did. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Um, He's the accuser. Now, this is an angel. If you, if you don't know, this is an angel who, filled with pride, wanted to be God instead of God. So he led a rebellion in heaven, and all these angels said, yeah, I'd rather be my own God or at least worship Satan rather than God. And so they broke loose from him. But here, here's the good news. Satan, Satan is not equal with God. It's not yin and yang. It's not uh, Satan represents evil, God represents good, and they're equal, and now they're duking it out, and whoever wins controls the universe. No. Satan is a created being on a leash. <laughs> Satan, uh, remember when he went to tempt Job and he, and he went to harm Job? God said, you can go this far and no further. Um, the devil is also a defeated and disarmed enemy. That's really important to remember. At the cross, Jesus took the only weapon out of the devil's hand that has any lasting power, sin and death. Because he went, if you trust in Christ, he took all of your sin, every bit of it, past, present, future. You could be thinking something about me right now. He'll forgive that, right? He took all of it, everything, and, he'll for, and he will forgive you. And you can have eternal life because Jesus died so that you could live. He took your place. Now the devil has nothing. He has no hook to put in you. All he can do is deceive you, lie to you, plant thoughts, accuse you, and condemn you. And so what do we do? Just, I mean, we'll get to this later, but um, if we know for a fact that God forgave every sin, how many times have you experienced the devil bringing something back up? How many times have you had a past sin come back up in your mind? Yeah. You can be confident that is not God. 100% confident. God's not going to bring up something he forgave and forgot and bring it up in your mind to rub it in your face. It's not. That's the devil. He's the accuser. He's the condemner. You, we can recognize his work. Um, we all, how many of you have had, had a, you know, you've been in a worship service or a prayer service and your mind just is just distracted and you're thinking of a thousand different things and you're seeing things and all this kind of stuff? Yeah. The enemy wants to sow confusion. That's what he does. Um, he's a liar, an accuser, a condemner. But I want you to, I want you to see two things. Um, about his tactics. What is he after? Let's go back to this verse. Um, Yeah, the devil's an accuser, a liar, a condemner, a tempter, but two things jump out from this. The devil wants to lull you to sleep, and he wants to devour your faith. He wants to devour your faith above everything else, your faith in God and in his promises. Um, See how it says right before in in verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Why? The devil's prowling around seeking someone to devour. And it's not like a dragon pops out of your closet at night, right, and bites your leg off. 
So what is he devouring? It's not talking about your leg. What is he devouring? Well, the next verse, what does it say? Resist him standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith. He devours your faith. And he'll use pain or pleasure, fear or pride, whatever works. If he has to scare you, he'll scare you, but he prefers to just put you to sleep. (laughs) So the lion devours your faith in God, your dependence on him, your trust in him. And, And another clue that we know this is talking about faith is because Peter's the one writing this. And remember, Peter, Jesus was about to go to the cross He's about to go to the cross, and uh, Peter, you know, gung-ho Peter was like, Lord, no, far be it from you that you should do this. Don't go. You can't do this, basically. And Jesus turns to him, and this is, this is crazy. He looks at him, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. Now, here's the thing. God said Yes. Kind of scary, right? Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. But then he says, but hey, that lion wants to devour you, but I'm the lion of Judah. And then he says this, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I've prayed for you. And when you've returned, not if, when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. Whatever you go through, never forget God, just we, pray, we, we read it in Romans 8, Jesus is living to make intercession for you on your behalf. So the devil comes in condemning, accusing, and Jesus says, no, righteous son or daughter every time because of what I did. So we know this because what did Satan want to do? What did he want to sift? He wanted to sift his faith. It was like uh, John Piper put it this way. It's like he pushes you into a sifter with your circumstances, with that relationship, with that person that just you can't get along with, with your anxiety about your future, with that failing grade, with that you you got kicked out of this or you didn't make it to that or that goal didn't dream didn't come true, whatever it is. And he uses all these circumstances and he pushes you into it like a sifter. And what he wants to sift out is faith. He wants to strain faith out of your life. But Jesus is interceding for you and your faith will not fail because Jesus is on your side. So I I just want us to know the battleground. I want us to know like what what are his tactics. From the very beginning, he he wants you to lose faith in God's goodness and that God wants good for you. So Joseph, right? He gets thrown by his brothers in a pit, sold into slavery. He about made it out of that and he gets thrown back into slavery because someone lied about him you know, back into, back into prison. And he finally rises out of it and he gets to be, you know, the head of Egypt, right? And his brothers come to him and they don't even recognize him. And he has that, that classic verse where he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, right? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Don't you think it was tempting to think God did not have his good in mind when he was in that prison? Yeah, when he's in that well, down in that pit? Yeah, absolutely. And it's same with us. We walk through these trials and it's the, what the devil wants to push his thumb on is God does not really care about you. Or you, he wouldn't let you do this, right? He wouldn't let this happen to you. It, it's the same as in the beginning, Genesis 3, like Satan didn't come to Adam and Eve and say, look how shiny this apple is or, well, fruit. Look how great this fruit looks. Looks really good. Don't you like fruit? No, what did he start with? Did God really say you can't eat this? Did he really? 
then he goes another step further. Did God really say you'll die? You, you won't really die. He knows that you'll just be like him if you eat this. You'll know good from evil. What is he, what is he hinting at? God's not good. He's withholding something from you. And he, do, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. So the devil doesn't say, hey, look how good depression looks. Man, anxiety, doesn't that look great and shiny? Doesn't pride, don't you want some more pride? Isn't that just, don't you want to think you're better than other people? <laughs> no, what does he do? He instead comes and says, God's not really in control, is he? God, God sure seems like he's left you and forsaken you. You deserve way more than you have, right? You should be thought of better <laughs> than you are. It all comes back to this. Do you believe God is good and do you believe that he's working for your good in every circumstance? So when we put our two-year-old to bed, um, he, he says something really sweet and it's a, it's a manipulation tactic, but it's still really cute. Um, put him down, do the whole thing, sing him a song, pray for him, lay him down. And then he always says, Daddy, be here, be here, please be here. It's like, oh, this tugs at your heart. I really want to be there sleeping and you be here. Um, or he'll say like, Daddy, hold my hand. And I do, don't think, I, I do hold his hand and like stay with him a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> when, he, when he can see us or touch us, he's fine. It's when we leave the room that the yelling and screaming starts sometimes, right? It's when we leave the room. He's wrestling to believe that we're present, that we're in control, and that we have his good interests in mind. Because it doesn't seem like it. Like, it seems like we should just hold his hand all night, right? But we don't because we want him to sleep on his own, knowing we're in the next room. So we go in the next room. And one, one night he woke up screaming, Daddy and Mama are in the house. Mama and Daddy are in the house. Because we had told him that. He was crying that. So, but we can, we can be the same way, right? Like we struggle to believe God's present. He's in control because we can't see him and feel him all the time. Um, what is the battleground? It, the war takes place in your mind. What you believe. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Do you believe that he cares for you? Do you believe that he cares for you? You, you won't truly cast your anxiety on him if you don't think he cares for you, right? The, the enemy wants to erode that. He wants to take that away. He doesn't really care for you. He doesn't really hear you, right? And that's not true. That's not true. Um, he wants to erode your faith in God's word. So it's tough. The, the battleground's in our mind, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't have a good sense that we have this supernatural unseen enemy that wants to devour us because we live in America, and we think that um, spiritual realities and the demonic only happens in Africa or somewhere, right? So I was, I was uh, reminded of this story from Samaritan's Purse. Um, some of our doctors went to Papua New Guinea to this tribe, the Hewa tribe, where 85% of the newborns died within three months of birth, 85%. Now, why did they die? Yeah, they had bad medical care, that's one. But they also were afraid of evil spirits and they worshiped ancestral spirits who they believed wanted them to do certain things. So one of the things they believed was as soon as a baby was born, nothing or no one could touch the baby until the placenta was delivered too. And so these babies would lay in the floor for two, three hours and they would get infections, they would get pneumonia and they would die. Um, 
So our team came in, they taught them about, you know, safe childbirth practices, but they also brought the gospel that there is one true God who loves them and who is stronger than these evil spirits and that they're believing lies. That's a lie. That's not true, medically or spiritually, right? Neither one is true. And so that's like a tangible example of spiritual darkness, right? And the light of the gospel coming through and breaking through. Um, But in the West, where we're secular and very materialistic, we often lose sight of that. And um, demons have a way of acclimating to where they are. It just looks different here. So our enemy can do just as much damage in the area of anxiety as he can with a witch doctor, probably more in the United States, right? He can do more damage through social media and shopping than through a shaman. He wants to distract our mind. He wants to destroy faith, to make things foggy, uh, to condemn us, to slowly deceive us, to put us to sleep. And he gets us into this thinking that like, yeah, preaching the gospel, living my faith out, that's for, that's for pastors. Or I, don't, I don't wanna be weird. I don't wanna be a weird Christian. <laughs> it's that slow and steady slope. So his, his primary goal is to destroy your faith to destroy your faith, not get you to play with Ouija boards, right? It's to destroy your faith. Um, And C.S. Lewis has this this quote. He says, the devil's first aim is to give you an anesthetic. That's his first aim, to numb you, to blind you, to put you asleep. Because this lion prefers to hunt by stealth and surprise. Um, So the battle has always been, do you trust God? Do you trust his word? Uh, Do you believe what he says about you? So how do we resist? Well, within these verses, the answer is given. If the devil wants to devour your faith, what is our resistance? Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Faith in what? Let's go back. Faith in what? That God cares for you. Faith in what? That God cares for you, that his promises are true. That suffering is not a sign that you've been singled out or that you've lost your blessing or something, right? Because he says the same kind of suffering is, is being experienced by the family of believers throughout the whole world, right? The same temptation. So in, Afri- in, in that tribe in Papua New Guinea, it looked like demons actually influencing people uh, in childbirth practices. Here, it might look like anxiety, it's just a different thing, but it's the same thing. We're all experiencing it. You're not singled out. Uh, there are other people going through it. And faith that God will make things in, uh, uh, right in the end. The one who called you to his eternal glory. After you've suffered a little while, he will personally restore you. So we resist him in our faith. We stand firm in the faith. Think of uh, Ephesians 6. Go, go home and read Ephesians 6. Um, starting in verse 10, about the armor of God. You probably know it. But, but where it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. And what is, one of, what is that armor piece that it says defends us from the fiery darts of the evil one? It's the shield of faith. Put up the shield of faith that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, the, the flaming arrows of accusation, condemnation, lies, discouragement. Now look, this is God's armor, by the way. It's not ours. I was thinking about that this morning. I've got holes all in, all in my armor. My armor is not good armor. I need the armor of Jesus. I need to put on 
the breastplate of his righteousness. I put on, put on the belt of his truth. I put on the helmet of his salvation. I, I take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, not the word of Aaron, right? You take up the shield of faith and believe his promises. So just a couple of practical things as we close. Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but make sure you guard your mind. Defense is the best offense. Defense is the best offense. How many of you have had a day where you're, um, you're distracted, you wake up late, don't have quiet time with the Lord, you go to work, you're cranking out work or school or whatever it is, then you're distracted by social media and then I'm on YouTube and then I'm looking up basketball scores, now I'm watching basketball highlights, now I'm listening to a basketball podcast, then I go home and then at the door, something needs my attention that requires me, me to be sharp and alert but I've spent all day dulling myself, right? (laughs) Defense is the best offense. Guard your mind, take thoughts captive. Not every thought in your head is from you. It can be the enemy, those fiery darts of accusation and lies. So start, learn to question yourself. Question your thoughts. Why did I just think that? Is that actually true? Where is that coming from? Um, Sharpen your ability to detect wrong mentalities or lies. we have to detect these negative patterns. So how many times have you had a thought that, that was similar or exactly like nobody cares about you, right? Nobody, they don't care about you. It's a lie. God says, and so what do I do? Go to 1 Peter 5. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you get nothing else, he cares for you. He actually cares for you. He cared for you so much that he died for you. He cared for you so much that he took all of your sins so that you don't have to pay for it. He cares for you. Um, accusation. God won't love you now that you did this. No, lie. Guard my mind. Take that thought captive. That's not of the Lord. Listen, the, the devil will never tempt you um, toward sacrificial love. The devil will never tempt you um, to give a word of encouragement to somebody. He'll never tempt you to adopt a child or to care for the widow or the poor. He'll never tempt you toward faith. He always wants to rob faith. And so we want to take thoughts captive. Learn to um, capture those. And I think my dad told me uh, many years ago, he's like, the word of God is like a filter. And the more of it you put in your heart, think of uh, how David said, I hide my, God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him, right? The more I hide God's word in my heart, I memorize it, I saturate my mind in it. This filter, those gaps became, become smaller and smaller, okay? And it catches more and more things coming in. Is that condemnation? Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. God, God I, I don't have a plan for my life. God will guide your steps. Whatever the verse is, you start to catch those things as they come in. Um, and we can detect, is this really true or is this a lie? And I, I would encourage you a couple of things like spend a day just journaling or writing down your thoughts um, and then take them to God's word like a mirror. Compare them to God's word. That's ultimate reality. Use just Romans 8. Just use that. And take every thought to Romans 8. Does it line up? Does it match up? Um, and then at the, on the other side of it, think, what promise of God can I believe right now? What promise of God am I not believing? Am I believing any lies? Ask yourself those questions. Um, also, stay alert. Like, uh, I'd encourage you to just identify one thing this week that is dulling you consistently. It's putting you to sleep. 
right? You, you know what it is. I'm not going to give a big list. God, God will reveal that to you. What do you can continually go back to to distract yourself or to numb yourself? Because we all do it. When I face stress and anxiety, what do I do? I go, I watch basketball for like seven hours, <laughs> right? right? But I know there's a point where it's good, but there's a point where I'm just distracting myself, just numbing myself. Um, we also need really quickly, we need some weapons, all right? And we'll get into more of this next week. Arm yourself every day. That's why it's so vital to, to read God's word and to pray without ceasing, to have an, a, an ongoing dialogue with the Lord and even with your own thoughts. A habit that I've picked up that makes me sound a little crazy, but has been really beneficial is just speaking directly to myself, to my thoughts. No, in Jesus' name, no. No, that's not right. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Get those, 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 and I'll be in the bathroom just, no, stop. And you, you know, somebody's in the other stall probably thinking, what's going on? Um, all right, shouldn't have said that. Uh, but we need, you need to arm, that's why it's important. Like it's not, sometimes we think Christianity is like, we've got this program and part of the program is you need to read your Bible every day. That's just part of the program. It's a weapon. It is a defense and offensive weapon because, again, Jesus quoted Scripture at the devil. That's mind-blowing. Jesus quoted Scripture. It is written. So we need to hide his word in our hearts. So when, when the enemy comes and says, you're not worthy, I go to Romans 8.1 and say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and I don't live according to the flesh anymore. I live according to the Spirit, and he died for me to set me free from the flesh and from sin and death. So devil, you're a liar. Jesus calls me friend. God calls me a son and he's declared me worthy, right? He's given me his righteousness. And so God's word becomes a filter. Um, that's why it's like with prayer, I'm be honest y'all. And you, I mean, maybe y'all are, I, I know maybe more spiritual than me, but <laughs> you start praying and it's just like, you just hit, like you're hitting a wall. Am I even, it just feels distracted, not even like you're doing anything. Pray anyway. That would be my encouragement to you. Pray anyways. That is one of the most beautiful things about the Lord's Prayer. I love it. It's like a practical way of putting on the Lord's armor because it's putting your trust and confidence in Him. Our Father, you're in heaven. You're holy. Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come on earth and let your will be done as it is in heaven. Lord, give me, I, I pray this prayer almost every day now. Give me my daily bread. I can't figure out Monday morning. Give me my daily bread. Give me my daily bread. Deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the evil one. Just pray, you know, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. So pray every single day. Um, would you stand with me? I just want to close and, and all this is true. We, we're kind of, we, we have an enemy, right? We have an enemy. He's potent. He wants to devour your faith above all and he'll do it with whatever. He will use pleasure or pain, disappointment or promotion to devour your faith. He doesn't care. It can be TV or it can be um, a witch doctor. So he wants to devour your faith and the battleground is in your mind, what you believe about God and whether you believe that God can secure your good. And we resist him by standing firm in your faith. But here's the deal. The devil is a defeated enemy. Amen. He is a defeated enemy. He's like, it's like 
uh, Jesus at the cross cut off the head of the dragon. Now he's flailing around and destroying things, right? Um, And so we fight from a place of victory, not for victory. We fight from a place of victory. Think of it like this. Have you ever played King of the Hill as a kid? Right, we're, oh, glory to God. Um, if, we're, if you're on the top of the, kill, of the hill, what is everyone else trying to do? Drag you off the hill. That's where we are. I love that song. We are hidden with Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The devil just wants to pull you down from where you already are. He wants to pull you off of that place with Jesus. So it's not an issue of victory. The Christian armor is not something you have to figure out and live up to and get it all just right, and now you can beat the enemy. The armor is the armor of God. Take it from him. Ask him for it. It's his righteousness. It's his truth. It's his salvation. It's the faith that he gave to us, right? So he was the triumphant warrior over Satan, death, and sin through his faithfulness. Um, and he will never leave us, forsake us. So if you, if you believe nothing else today, um, believe that the God of all grace, he's called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you've suffered a little while, I love us. He will personally restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Personally, each one, each one of you. Um, I wonder if you could just repeat these after me, these scriptures as we close. These are weapons of warfare. There is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Neither angels or rulers, nor powers, nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We conquer the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen and amen. Father, thank you for this morning. And I ask, Lord, that you would, your word would take root and the devil would not snatch it up, Lord, but that it would be watered, bear fruit, Lord. Protect us all this week, Lord. I ask that you would make us firm in our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To find out more about our ministry, visit hhcboone.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Harvest House Church Boone.